or grieving? It's over. It's gone. It's finished. So we're back. Yes, it's time for another edition of Football Bloody Hell. And events have caught up with us because it looks like we're going to have to change the intro music as well because he's gone and all. On the show tonight we've got Paul Thorpe, Dave Pryor's back, Ricky Hyatt, Adam Davis and Will Brommel. So sit back and enjoy and let's get back to the Premier League and that's, that's football as we know it. So I'll hand you over to our host for the night, Dave Pryor. Okay, go for it. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. And this is our first podcast since Jesus' birthday. So uh, my guests this evening, Will Brummel, Rick Hyatt, Adam Davis. Boys, how are you? All good, thank you. Surviving. Lovely the weather. Rick, I'll start with you. Did you have an enjoyable festive period? Uh, quiet, but um, yeah, yeah, it's been okay. Can't complain, as they say. Same with you, Will? Yeah, quiet. You know, I was looking forward to the snow on Christmas Day, but it didn't happen, did it? You know, it's a bit disappointing. But, you know, I had a massive bet that it was going to land on the old Met office in London, and I lost 10 quid. Ah, so you're already in a deficit. Oh, that's not good news. What about you, Adam? Did you make a profit over Christmas? <laughs> nothing, nothing financial. Um, no, it was, it was a, a busy time for me because it's, uh, yeah, driving up and down the country in the, this terrible weather wasn't one of the nicest things to do, but needs must. So uh, let's kick straight into it then. So uh, I will um, just add the little caveat that um, up until about 45 minutes ago, uh, somebody else, Mr. Hopper, <coughs> was going to be hosting this podcast. So uh, I don't have any topics. So I'm hoping that you boys will be able to pinch in um, as we go along. But of course, there's only really one place to start, which is obviously the return of the Premier League and Boxing Day fixtures. Rick, I'll start with you. Have you missed it? Good Lord, have I missed it. Just just a quick point, though, uh, Dave. Uh, you saying that it's uh, apologising for not having notes because Adrian dropped out and you've come in sort of suggests that Adrian would have prepared and, and had notes and, and stuff, So uh, which was highly unlikely. <laughs> but, uh, yes, it's great to have the Premier League back, have some proper football, and uh, it's just nice to be able to turn on uh 
the telly and not see Gary Lineker trying to put things inside Lionel Messi, which he tried to do for three weeks. So uh, yeah, that was that was a relief. Merry Christmas, everyone. Keep it light. Really. Keep <laughs> it's it a beautiful image. It's a beautiful festive image. <laughs> um, Will, have you you enjoyed um, the football being back? Um, obviously, from your perspective, obviously it wasn't a good um, result for the Hammers, which we'll go into a bit more detail later. But um, are you happy just generally that domestic football has now started to take shape again? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting, you know, the, the last time we saw the players or the, the top-level players, they were all playing in the World Cup. And then suddenly they're, they're all back in the league. It's it's so instant now, isn't it? The travelling is no big problem. You know, they just get on the jet from Qatar and go wherever they're going to go. And now it's all back to normal. Um, yeah, it's good, it's good to, for me, it's good having football where it's supposed to be, should we say, at the weekend and the odd game in the middle. When it was World Cup every day, it was kind of non-stop football. I know you didn't have to watch it, but it was always there, wasn't it? It was always talking about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's back. Um, yeah, we won't talk about the Hammers at the moment, then, Dave, um, but we'll move on <laughs> to that one a bit later. It'll be but on yeah, the it's, list. It's good, it's good to have it back again. <laughs> good to have football back. Um, Adam, I'll come to you then, because obviously you were helping out with Three Valleys Radio doing the hosting of the World Cup um podcasts that we had available um to me i don't know about you but it already feels like the world cup was about four months ago does that have that same feeling with you <laughs> i i was actually thinking this not that long ago thinking the exact same thing it's 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 almost as if it, it links to will's point really well in my opinion that it was it was that everything was happening all of the time and then suddenly everything stopped and that seemed to put an amazing sort of blockade on things for people to think about football for all of five days but it could have easily been five weeks and we weren't even in, entirely sure it's yeah there's it's not felt like there's been any apart from i don't know commentators alluding to it or such and such played for such and such a nation in the world cup on the telly outside of that it's all sort of been sort of back to business as usual apart from the fact that no one's seen any of the argentinian squad in the last week and a half but other than that it's um it, yeah, it, it weirdly feels like it's been ages ago, but then also, oh yeah, I remember that fixture not being, you can remember it still incredibly crystal clearly. So it's all sort of a weird middle phase. And not only that, Rick, we had um, Carabao Cup action as soon as the tournament finished. Did you enjoy that, enjoy that bit of midweek action? I did indeed. It was so lovely to see Marcus Rashford being Marcus Rashford again. Oh, just on the on the subject, Adam, of Argentinians, after Ten Hag saying he had no idea where Martinez was, he turned up at training today. So we've got one back in the country. <laughs> I don't know when he'd be fit to play, but he's uh, he, he's back in the country, so that's a good thing. I can't help but feel the likes of, I think McAllister's been found in some skip in Buenos Aires at this rate, and Emmy Martinez is even in a worse shape by the uh, if media reports or anything to be believed. It looks like they enjoyed themselves, shall we say. Just as you, it's, it seems like the celebrations are exactly what you would expect looking at that Argentinian team. It's just like they just got on a, a Jolly Boys bus somewhere and just shot off into the middle of Argentina with a load of moonshine or something and just disappeared. Just, for a few just very quickly on that, Rick, because I'm not sure if you managed to, if you guys did a concluding podcast following the Argentinian win. We, we haven't done anything about since we did a um, previous 
Emmy Martinez, are you are you a fan of it or are you not a fan of it? Or is it one of those where you're if he's your player, you absolutely love it. If he's not your player, you just think he's the proverbial blank head? Uh, he is or not. <laughs> but uh, he just got carried away. That sums up the way he the way the Argentinians behaved throughout the World Cup. It that was Careful, just the item on the cap. Pardon? <laughs> I said, be careful, but go on. Sorry, I've, I've, I've upset bigger nations than Argentina before. But they they all looked, I, I said this on a previous, on a World Cup podcast thing, they all, they all look like they're drug runners. The, the entire team looked like they, that Adam, you don't have to put your head in your hands, I'm allowed to say it. But they're they're skirting around the, the issue, Rick, and then they're colliding head first into it. Pardon? <laughs> They're skirting around the into uh, around the issue politically, and then there's also just driving it through a brick wall, and that's exactly. <laughs> oh, it needs, it needs, but they did. You look at every member yeah. of that that's that Argentinian squad. They looked like they had a tag on, and their fixtures had to be finished by eight o'clock because they all had to be home. The roughest bunch, but they, and but they they were Argentina. They were true to themselves. They were authentic. That's exactly what you would expect from Argentinian footballers, and they. Uh, yeah, they were very Argentinian. They also behaved disgracefully and disrespectfully to everyone else. But then again, that's what you what you expect from them, or I did anyway. How big do you think this um, the World Cup was for the Argentinian players in terms of their um, their club careers? Now, so we talk about Emmy Martinez, Adam. You've touched on McAllister there. Are these boys that are now? going to feel as though that they're going to outgrow an Aston Villa and a Brighton because they've got this World Cup in the bag now? Or is it just a, a sign of the strength that um, is in the Premier League now and in world football that it doesn't really matter so much who you play for now because the money's there and it is, and you're playing at such a high level, maybe you don't need to play for a top-tier club to still be, you know, winning something, particularly with your tro- um, with your country? I think, for me personally, it shows how how the, the changes in worlds between international football and club football. Because even at Argentina, they played seven games. If you put that into a league calendar, we call that a purple patch. And in the World Cup, we now call that an excuse to now pay them a hundred million. I think it's like, is it Enzo Fernandez, the one that won the Young Player of the Year? Uh, yeah. The yeah. Tournament. Yeah. He was bought by Benfica for eight million pound in the summer from, I think it was River Plate. And now there are talks of Newcastle wanting him, and they're looking to pay his release clause of one hundred and five million euros. Now that's seven games. That's absolutely ludicrous, and 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 the vast majority of, I think in theory, recruitment heads that, you know, sort of, how, how do I phrase it? I don't know, or any good at their job will be aware of that and are conscious of that. And yes, it's good and it's shown that they're capable, but it is only seven games. The difference will be whether the players think that they're now something else that they weren't going into the tournament because it's, you know, seven games in the championship as a lot of the Morocco squad were sort of playing at that sort of level. Anis Saruri, place of Burnley. He was he was in the Morocco squad quite regularly. Seven games of the Championship versus seven games of the World Cup. Yeah, OK, maybe the level is slightly different. Still only seven games. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the players see this. I think if we don't see at least 
a little bit of interest from Chelsea for McAllister because he's ex-Brighton and he's done quite well and everything else that's good in Brighton seems to have gone to Chelsea in the last six months. Um, outside of that, I don't think anyone's going to be biting Aston Villa's hand off for Emmy Martinez. Maybe we'll see a few more, but it shouldn't affect it too heavily, but inevitably it will. Doesn't Emery, Emery want Martinez out after his behaviour in the in the World Cup? Read something somewhere that he wasn't overly impressed and is looking to move him on. Be an idea. Well, I think that was in the Daily Mail, though. Oh, definitely not true, then. My guess would be, I could see the logic, but also he's a World Cup winning goalkeeper for a middling Premier League side. Yeah. There's either one of two ways. You either go, he's the best we're going to get, or his stock's never been higher. And I don't know how rarely do we see goalkeeper transfers mid-season. I, I think if we're going to see it at all, we might see it in the summer. And by then, the idea of the World Cup stuff will be a distant memory. Yeah. But if, if they are going to sell him now, the January window would be an ideal time, wouldn't it? Like you say, stocks never been higher. They'll never get more money than they would be. Will, quick, quick question for you. When, when is football going to learn not to um, jump off the back of a World Cup? We've been saying for ages that, you know, back in the day, as it were, when we didn't have so um, easy access in football that you'd watch a tournament and you'd find all these unknowns and you'd be like, oh, yeah, they're worth a punt on. But now we already know about these players. But as Adam says, they have three or four good games and suddenly we're chucking 100, 200 million at them. It's, it's just going to get worse and worse, is it? And they're not going to learn. I, I think what's happened, what will happen is that these players, a lot of the Argentinian players we'd never heard of, really. They were under the radar, all decent players, but the people that are really are going to take it to the next level, the agents, they're going to see these players now and be able to make money out of them and sell them for big bucks. And I think that, to me, is what's really happened. You know, McAllister playing for Brian, good player, but still, you know, a low player. But now, since he's won the World Cup, the agent is going to be on the backs of the managers to up their wages. And so a lot of the players that played for Argentina never heard of them, you know, and now suddenly they're mainstream, big major league agents are coming across and they'll be asking for more money from the clubs. And, and that's where, and as Adam's saying, they've only played sort of seven games and now, now they're sort of hundred million pound players. It's just the way football is. And it's become, totally driven by massive amounts of money, isn't it? You know, every time I turn the TV on now, there's a Bournemouth now, for instance, they've been taken over by a load of American billionaires. And it's just, we do wonder where, well, I do wonder where it's going to end football. These players, you know, Mbappe, or Mbappe, what his name is, um, he's on half a million pound a week or something, I believe. You know, it's, it's incredible amounts of money. I just don't, I can't believe it goes on forever. There must be a time when money, the bottom falls out of football and the money drops down or something happens. It just can't keep going like this. A hundred million, you know, I've said before, I always felt that Chelsea, when they bought Cucurella, a left back for 60 odd million pounds, that just summed up how money has taken over football. And it's, I know we've got great players, and especially in the Premier League, we've got really good players because the money's there. But I just don't know where it's going to end. It's just, 
it doesn't it seems to be continuing Adam, if you pick up on that, being in the football finance game, is there is there bodies, for want of a better term, that are overlooking at this with elements of concern that this is out of control now and it's going to, as Will says, combust? Or is no one really taking any ownership of that being an actual possibility and they're just letting the billionaire owners do their thing? I think, I think to be perfectly honest... I wouldn't win work in the world that I do if people weren't concerned because people are wanting to be because because there's this added interest in in the understanding of the finances of sport it's either going one of two ways there's a slight concern of well I guess the key question is where's the money going and in what direction and we're seeing it in the form of huge transfer fees and huge wages and the reason the money is being paid is because the money is currently there. We, 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 we're in a quite a sheltered environment in England because we are rewarded with more professional clubs on an island smaller than most nations across both Europe and then elsewhere around the world based on the huge historical fixtures of um, the historical significance of football in England. In other nations, the equivalent of Yeovil isn't a professional outfit but because we've got enough interest in it and there's enough finances going through the pyramids we're able to keep it going a fifth tier french club a fifth tier spanish club is plays in a regional league it's semi-professional and it might even be amateur and we sort of take it for granted the fact that yeovil is professional albeit in recent years that's that's sort of changed because of lots of other things that have gone off the field that is a whole nother can of worms i think Particularly with the Premier League, it's the American investment one. We've meant we've touched on it in the past. And buying into the likes of Bournemouth is because of the wider financial sphere, I think, that we deal with in professional sport. That we have so many American owners. Because if we want to see this is what a league can become in terms of its sheer numbers, you go and look at the NFL. You go and look at the NHL and things like that, whether and the NBA, where it's just advertising, advertising, advertising. There are so many investors in sport now, and particularly in football, who still see sponsorship opportunities and ways of earning money that football still hasn't quite reached yet. And we think that's scary because we come from an environment where that hasn't been the case. And I forgive you guys, you probably will remember a time when football shirts didn't have any form of sponsorship on them at all. And now we're pretty used to the sleeve sponsor, the shirt manufacturer, the front shirt sponsor. I remember Yeovil having a back of shirt on neck and then also a back of shorts. And we kind of take that for granted now. In, and that was when we were in League Two versus, you know, in, and this is the sort of stuff now. It's, it simultaneously makes it really exciting, but also quite concerning of where is this money coming from? And that's, and that's probably the next other key point of this. We have a lot of faith in that the American owners have come from good money. And I think it's, we sort of just accept it because it's the US. And then there's obviously the knock-on effects that we're worried about Super League and things like that becomes more of a political issue rather than a financial one. It's things like people just being very blasé about the idea of being bought out by, you know, dictatorships and things like this is because it's what is the what's football being used for? The money that we can put into it now, are, are they doing it just because they think they're going to make money out of it? Or are they trying to sanitize other parts of their business it is football a good cover story things like that these sort of questions have always existed in football 
but I think we're just seeing them more regularly now. Something that I, I think we always, people forget. Money has always dominated football. It's just the numbers involved are just adding zeros each time. You know, the Football League only exists because some northern mill owners wanted to pay their players, which at the time was illegal because, because the rich guys that ran the FA saw it as a gentleman's game. But those ones that were able to spend more money, the likes of Preston, went unbeaten in the 1880s. Money has always dominated football. It's just the numbers are just getting larger. So just touching on the, the numbers getting larger, um, so Rick, I'll put an example to you. So say we could feasibly be looking at in 20 years' time, okay, say about 20 years' time, we could, we could have a situation where 15 of the 20 Premier League clubs have big money billionaire owners. So you might get a sense of, okay, we talk about money getting out of control, but then you talk about a competitiveness competitiveness of the league it could then completely blow the status quo out of the stratosphere if you've got 15 clubs quite easily could win a premier league title because anybody in the league has just got the pulling power to buy anybody we could be heading that way would that be too fanatical to to think that that might happen or do you think that as it is actually a possibility in a perverse sort of way, it may actually eventually self-regulate itself in the sense that if they're all owned by people with either by particularly unpleasant states abroad or Americans, although I do think that, Adam, I don't know what you think, but there was talk of one of the reasons that the Glazers are, uh, are pulling out of United, hopefully, is the fact that because the Super League was defeated, they can't ring fence their money and obviously american american sports owners don't like any sense of jeopardy it's all about reward there's no downside to american sport now seems that that's been defeated whether that affects the number of american investors coming in to buy into that where they might heaven forbid a team that they own might get relegated and we know that americans don't mind that they're like guaranteed success so it might deter them but ultimately if everybody is i think 15 out of the Premier League. If the Premier League is any more than 15, they'll all be owned at that stage. Provided football doesn't eat itself en route, then that will inevitably be where it ends up. There will be a lack of competition. There won't need to be a wage cap or uh, any sort of budget restrictions or whatever because they've all got infinite um, resources. So, in a, in a sense, that does make it a sort of even even playing field because no no one team will be richer than the others so who knows it might who knows what's going to happen but um just one thing about uh people coming in to uh invest i mean as a west ham fan will will's lucky because not every club in the in the premier league is in a position where they could be bought out by british pornographers they have to run on foreign money (laughs) what do you know that i don't know you've been reading those magazines again Wow, the subscription right now, it's all online now, mate. <laughs> I think I think you've raised a really good point about the Glazers. And I, I, I fear, and I think it's the, the, the point I want to raise is the idea the line you used, which was that the Super League has been defeated. Mm-hmm. I think I think the, this version of the Super League has been defeated, and I agree completely. And the Glazers might just go, We we don't see a potential in this. 
and yeah. that's fine. And, and, and allegedly, that's what, that'd be great. allegedly and that'd that's what's be happened, great. and that's why they want to walk away. And there's there's an argument to be made that FSG at Liverpool are thinking a similar thing. Yeah. But it, we can't paint all American investors with the same brush, otherwise Bowley wouldn't have put in all the money he's done at Chelsea. Um, yeah. This guy that owns the Vegas Knights wouldn't have got paid £120 million for a Dorset seaside town that happens to also have a football club. That there's it's it's there's so many I think it's still going in that direction. The the idea of the fifteen clubs out of the twenty that have got enough pulling power, I think that's a real possibility, but I think you have to close off the league to do it. I could I can see a scenario where the Premier League becomes the equivalent of the NFL, but for football. Where where it's a franchise model, and that's actually one of the reasons they earn so much money is because of the huge competitiveness of the NFL. You can have a, one club that finishes right at the bottom three years later because they've had certain draft picks and they've got huge amounts of salary cap available that are now then challenging for the Super Bowl. Now, if you're a, if you're one of those 20 clubs that could win that in this Premier League closed-off franchise, that's so exciting from a marketing point of view because at the moment we talk about the idea of prior to Newcastle this year, something like West Ham reaching the Europa League or Leicester reaching the Europa League was seen as so unusual and so unexpected because we, we just already disregarded the idea that the Champions League was a possibility for clubs that aren't named Man United, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham and Arsenal. And, and that's, that's the scenario we're currently in is that there's, I think there's more room to grow. It's whether it's how much emphasis they want to put on the political game to it. Because another thing that we also have to take into consideration is the reason the Premier League earns so much money is because it's watched all around the world. We're yeah. speaking about this as, as four British citizens who have grown up with top division English football at various stages and at various sizes. But Chinese interest, Indian interest, American interest, th this league is huge. And if they can suddenly have the opportunity of picking another club, you know, the ability that I'm going to become, I, I live in Beijing and I'm now going to become a Leeds United fan. And OK, we might not have done this particularly well this year, but in this closed Premier League world in three years time, we can challenge for the title. I'm going to put a bit more money in to support the club. The overall football increases, but at what cost? But that's, that's what I mean. Don't you think that if they've all got bottomless pockets, it will, there won't be legislation put in. There won't need to be legislation put in to cap it because it will cap itself because nobody will have a financial advantage because they're exactly. all on a level on a, on a level playing field. This, this, is, this is the quandary I have between the likes of Liverpool want a Super League or, or Man United and, and you know those at the top want that to, to ring fence their revenue because it's all self-interest. That, you know, that goes without saying, really. But when does that self-interest end? When, when does it become the point where they let other rich people in to allow their Super League to suddenly go, oh, well, we're not earning quite as much money as we wanted because, because we ring-fenced it. Newcastle are on the rise and Leeds are on the rise and West Ham are on the rise and all these other ones. It, 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 gets, very, it gets very interesting. I was going to bring that. Yeah, I was going to say about um, getting a league where all this money's going in, and the thing that I felt was always going to stop it, this super league, was that was the 
was the crowd, was the people watching the game. People like me uh, have been watching him for many years. And, you know, the crowd or is, we wouldn't like, we, I can't see us liking it. You know, we're old school, this country, watching football. You know, we have leagues that you, you get to the top of the league, then you get promotion and relegation. It's all part of the way we've been brought up with football. Um, so I, I was thinking, well, that's it, Super League's never going to happen in the next, I don't know, 20, 30 years because of the people that watch the game won't allow it. They, they just don't want it. But Adam's come up with a great point that I hadn't really thought about. It's the worldwide watch has more influence, really, than the people going to Barnsley or something like that or any of these teams in England or Britain. It's... As Adam's saying, it's a bigger, it's it's global now, isn't it? And so they've got a lot of influence on the way our game is played, and probably a lot more than the people that watch it in this country. Well, you talk about the fans now, or you talk about the fans. I would just want to ask you boys what you think how fans' perceptions might change with the introduction of this FIFA World Club Cup that Gianni has now decided that's going to happen. Because Adam, you possibly know a little bit more about the, the nitty-gritty of it. Apologies if you don't put it on the spot there. But I just I just can see that being something that in four or five years' time, we all actually get behind and like it. And then in many ways, that might be the start of football fans changing their own minds about whether things like a Super League then actually becomes a good idea. I'm I'm very concerned about I agree with you completely will that we and the people of your generation and and the years around it and then this is why I don't think the super leagues around for the next 20 years seems quite realistic it's it's when you guys have had enough of football you know and and those generations move on in various different directions the younger generations are in the ground very, is very different <laughs> When those generations go in different directions, I was thinking, what, in the ground? <laughs> That's, it's an option. It's any direction. Um, it's more the fact that, you know, w- what I mean is that that type of fan da- starts to die out because other <laughs> newer generations, which are based on uh, short-termism and it's yeah. built around social media and it's built this worldwide view rather than keeping it so nationally-centric, I think the Club World Cup is is an example of what that could become if they market it properly. Uh, I don't think they will. I, I think that it's still built off political agendas and the fact that Infantino's an idiot and that the reason he does all of this, for comparison, FIFA make money one every one out of every four years. They make a loss in the other three, quite major losses, and they make all their money back in the World Cup. So unsurprisingly, they'd quite like more major events where they earn more money. They are terrified of UEFA because UEFA have the Euros, which earns not quite as much as the World Cup, but they've got that. And more importantly, they have the Champions League, which for some fans, I've noticed a growing sense in people probably younger than myself. um, These younger ones are more interested in who wins the Champions League than they are the World Cup or the Euros. And that's quite a growing concern. And this could very much be the growing trend of things. One, one thing about taking the, yeah. taking the game worldwide and, and marketing it that we say 
Will says that, you know, the, the match going fan in this country. No, don't underestimate how important to the product having a crowd and a typical English crowd is to what they're selling. If you're selling that and you've got half empty grounds, it's not the same product that they want to buy. They want to buy the whole experience. So if they've got enough foresight, what they'll do is they'll try and incentivize clubs that always have full grounds and have support. So from that point of view, it's a cynical way of looking at it because we all go to football matches because we love the game. If you're marketing something and that's part of it, clubs will still need fans, but not for their love of the game, to in, in, in improve the quality of the product that they're selling abroad. So the fans will always be part of it if they've got any sense. Well, this is, this is part of the problem, isn't it? Because we're starting to see it, particularly at the bigger Premier League teams, sort of your Man United and Nibbles as well, that, that the, the, the match-going crowd is changing. Yeah, it's, they're day it's, trippers now, aren't they? They're local. There is, a, there, is a, there is an amount which are more interested in it because it's if you go purely from the finances, uh, a regular, let's say a Man United fan who lives in Manchester and has always lived in Manchester yeah. his whole life, pays for his season ticket year in, year out and might buy the shirt each year and then maybe one other piece of merchandise. If you're a tourist and you have that same ticket because that person's using it for 20 games a year and there's less... Um, so the price yeah. per seat is less versus a tourist who will pay slightly through the rows because it's a one-off experience for them. They'll buy X amount in the club shop and everything else. Exactly. They're earning more per seat. So there's well, a point now where the likes of Liverpool and Man United actually cap the amount of season tickets so that they can dedicate it to having yeah. tourists. Eating. Well, this is so this is what I, I used to go. I used to yeah, you're absolutely right because I used to go regularly up to Old Trafford and there was more chance of getting one of those tickets if you come from Scandinavia than there is if you live in Salford. Because as you say, per ticket, there's more bang for buck. Their revenue for that one ticket for that game is going to be massive if it's a tourist. Whereas, as you say, with a, with a homegrown fan, which is ideally what you want if you're trying to make the whole match going thing for everybody else, it's part of the backdrop, as it were. Those people aren't, the club, the club aren't interested in having them in the ground because they're not spending the same money. And this is and this is the barriers that will that will define it. It's there's so many different angles to it, which makes it think that it will be quite a few years before we see anything truly terrifying that sort of looks so dissimilar to what we're used to now. But in the interim, more money will be put into marketing, more money will be put into new technology we are not even aware of that will make the match go experience better for certain customers, and the money will continue to grow. And the only way place that's going is into players' packets, wage packets. That's the only place it's going at the moment. We, we, I think we will see the first £200 million player that's sort of, oh, yeah, they're worth about £200 million. Whereas up to, at the moment, we're at 198 is the record transfer fee for Neymar, and yeah. that was blown absolutely mental. That £200 million will be broken. If we had to put money on it at the moment, it's probably going to be Haaland going to Real Madrid or something like that. That's, this, this will not become that much of a surprise moving forward. I think, you know, this Super League will just be a totally different and alienated league or late league of football from, from the natural fan. I think the fans will always be... I think the fans will dictate how football goes. The Super League will be a, a completely separate thing and 
the fan-based football will exist as something else, not even in the same, you know, category. You know, it'll, it'll, it's the only, to me, it's the only way, you know, as you're saying, you could, why don't they have renter crowds then? You know, in the, in, when, when we had these, this Super League, just have half the ground for tourists and just get a load of actors in and get the audio going and so you don't even have to have real... That's, to me, how it's going to be because all the real fans will want to work within an environment where there's relegation and promotion. You know, these people that yeah. at Portsmouth, you know, proper fans, I'll say proper fans, they'll, they'll still... The whole point of football for me has been to climb up the table and get promotion. You know, that's the whole goal. That's the way we have played football, how it started back in the day. And and the, the, the average fan for any of these clubs, there's, you know, as you know, there's hundreds of clubs all over the place. That they'll still want that. And, and they'll, you know, someone who's looking, who plays for, I don't know, Rotherham or something, or as a fan, will look to this Super League and go and stick two fingers up at it. You know, they'll just want to play the game, the grassroots game, with its rules, you know, promotion and relegation. I just, the true fan will always want that. Which is, which is, it's really important to do the distinction between what the Super League will be and what other people will watch for. It's really important to take the two differences because the, the, the other issue to it is the Super League will exist with the best players in the world. And that is a huge pull that we want to watch nice football, all of the time and that is that is the desire of some fans having that connection to a local community or to a or to a something that's greater than just you as yourself is something that football has done so very well the reason we talk have podcasts about it and things like that is because it has that greater appeal but whether that changes because of but we can so we'll still support that local team wherever they may be and then also having sort of a connection to a franchise i think is very very possible now so the, the only thing that I could see that, that is a possibility is, is we talk about sort of the idea of an English Premier League as a, as a franchise type thing. It also makes me think that, that perhaps it links to Will's point on what we, the types of fans that will be going. And are there enough fans that just want to go and watch the nice football and watch those top players in a country that is only about 70 million people big? It's whether we whether we change the European Super League to look more like a, a world Super League, where we have a London franchise, a Manchester franchise, and then also a Munich franchise and a Madrid franchise. And this may be the key problem between we'd never see it now, where it's you know, where there's huge club rivalries, and rightly so, because that's really, really important to how we view football today. But if we can see the idea of a London franchise taking on Rio de Janeiro, taking on Los Angeles, it's, it, I don't think it's entirely out of the, the realms of possibility. That sounds like my worst nightmare. I, I, I agree completely, but I actually don't think it's that. I, I, there will be someone sat in a darkened room yeah. trying to work it out and see whether it's feasible. And it's not feasible now. Because the idea of who, who's going to tell, you know, the guy that's been a diehard Atletico fan that he now should also follow a Madrid franchise against other teams in the world. Oh, by the way, you'll be sat next to a Real Madrid fan. Yeah. Or, or the equi- or an English equivalent or a French equivalent. But does it, that happens it happen to, a, to it happens to a greater or lesser, well, a lesser extent, really, with international football at the moment, doesn't it? Because 
I find it, you may have noticed during the people who have access to any of my social media nonsense, my, my okay. great love of Jordan Henderson. I found it very difficult to all of a sudden switch from my quite reasonable opinion that Jordan Henderson is a waste of space, just all of a sudden then having to, uh, yay, come on, Jordan. And I really struggle with that. And to be perfectly honest about it, I do, which is why I don't have a great, a great deal of uh, love for the England national team necessarily. But at least that's on an international basis or on a national team basis. If you're asking people to do it because, well, for what reason? It makes no difference. You say, like, if you've got a London franchise, who other than Cockneys are going to be interested in, in following that, whether they're, they were Arsenal fans, they were Tottenham fans, now they've been lumped together and they've got to support the same team. And if England only has one franchise and that's it, I can't see it ever gaining any sort of momentum in this country. I think we're too died in the wool in our allegiances. And I, and, and I agree that there would have to be central franchises in England. But this is, this is where I think, where we were talking about where does football go? What, what directions are out there? That is very much, I think, an extremity of it. Because every, every bone in my body hates that. You know, yeah. the concept that we're going to lump every England per, every English citizen who is a lover of football, you now have to go and stand for the great big shiny smoke that is London, which I personally despise the, the idea yeah. of. Because I've not grown up in London. I don't feel connected to London in any way. Some people do. That's fine. But if I'm now being expected to, to link to that London represents me is no longer something that sits right with me. You know, I come from a quiet part of the West Country and we're all very proud of that. And then I went to North Yorkshire, which is even more um, nationalistic, um, where it's a similar, similar style. And, and that's an idea. But if you're already living in London and if you're already wanting to see the very best players in the world and that's what you want to see about football... And if the, you know, the Haaland equivalent of 20 years down the line plays for the London franchise or the De Bruyne equivalent or X, Y and Z, I can see people being open to the idea. But a long way down the line. So last last point on this then, Lance, do you think that um, the fans, I mean, they always hold the key, but do you think that when it comes to things like this, in particular, the, the Super League, that we are our own worst enemies in many ways because at the end of the day how many times have you seen for different things like take the oval for example where there's been a lot of talk where if you want change you're going to have to talk with your feet and don't go but then when that time comes around and it gets towards kickoff and there's a part of you not wanting to go but I think even if you're in that two minds I've, it seems to me that the majority will still go because they still want to go and see their club they still want to go and support the team, regardless of what competition they're in. And you might get a situation where something like the Super League or the equivalent is just pushed through. It might take a while to get going, but then suddenly fans just then just come back because it's a case of supporting their team. Um, if, if anything, we want it to go the way of the uh, JPT model because no one bothers going to that. And I don't quite know how fans have managed to successfully disengage themselves from that competition compared to, to anything else. I think the, the, the worry will be that I wasn't around when it happened, but I've 
red and loss on it, things like that. The, the the breakaway of the Premier League at the time saw huge uproar and huge in huge change and a lot a lot of discussion mm. around it, good and bad. And now we're taking that as there are some that claim that it hasn't gone far enough. Okay, it's taken them 35, 40 years to do it, but we're in that position now. Whereas will will we see the case of the Super League happening moving forward because of that same reason? I think I think you're right. It's I think we're putting perhaps a little bit too much faith in the idea that we'd stick to our our morals quite as strongly as perhaps we want to. The, the only reason I don't go and watch Yeovil as much as I'd like to is because I live 400 miles away. I'd like to say it was because of other reasons or, you know, uh, political uh, allegiances or that how I want to see the club run. It's only geography that gets in the way. And deep down, I have to admit that, that, you know, if I see there's an away trip, I might not necessarily agree with how Yeovil are playing or uh, off the field decisions, but if it's an away trip near me, I'm going to go. It's just it's 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 exactly. uh, all so much larger than I think we all care to admit. Yeah. Me when when I first moved to Yeovil or to the down here, you know I I was a West Ham fan and you know they were one of the top teams in the league and things. But when I first when I moved to Yeovil, I became a um, a fan. You know I I was a season ticket holder, and the passion I got you know, at the time they were not even in the league, you know, I used to go and watch them play in the field and things like that. But the passion I got from watching them was just the same as the passion I got for watching a, a first division or a champ, you know, a, whatever it was in a day, you know. So I think fans are, all, fans are always going to support football at every level. You know, as I say, the season ticket holder for Yeovil was brilliant. I used to go different places in the country, you know, and it was, I loved watching them, you know, and they weren't in the league at all. You know, it's, it was just a passion within me as a football fan. I, I tied myself to Yeovil Town Football Club and there'll always be fans out there will support their local team or a team not in the Super League. You know, I just very, think that. I think there's a very real possibility that perhaps let's, let's, say that the Super League idea isn't all bad and perhaps because those that want to break away do break away, perhaps as it increases people's local ties to their local clubs more than they currently do at the moment, where we have you know, there are people that live in Yeovil who probably don't cl claim to be Yeovil Jang fans but because they, you know but they've always lived in Yeovil, it's not like they have any connection to anything else and they, they felt at the time they wanted to I don't know they had a closer link to glory or just what they had at school and what their mates had is that they were Chelsea fans or whatever. And if those people break away, you know, maybe they do get this local thing. And maybe overall the second vision and below or whoever isn't part of the Super League, maybe the overall connection to English football actually improves because we're not, that... we're not constantly talking about realistically six, seven clubs. I think it will it will go that way, Adam, because you if you take Yeovil again as an example, if you if you were to have a, a poll amongst the match going supporters of Yeovil in the next fixture, Torquay on New Year's Day, I bet every single one of them has another team, a big team that they support and have an interest in and follow on the telly and whatever. Yet if they're going to watch a live game, it's Yeovil. Exactly. So that's, inevitably, I think that's 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 the way it will go. People will be 
there are, the armchair fans will be, everybody will be an armchair fan to a greater or lesser extent, but it's whether or not you have another team that you actually physically go and follow alongside that. And I think the majority of people, certainly people like ourselves, you like to watch live football, that's the way they'll go. They'll, they'll have a local team that they watch and a, a bigger team, if you like, that they follow. Well, in, in a way, I'm already doing that because yeah. I have what well, I watch York a lot for work and that I live nearby. But I, I watch my bigger club on the telly in the form of Yeovil Town through the new uh, streaming service, which, of course, is the larger team overall. But perhaps other people may choose their bigger team to be, I don't know, it's Man United or Chelsea. But I, I think I'll stick yeah. with Yeovil until then. Whilst commentary is available on Three Valleys Radio, of course, Adam. Well, of course, that goes without saying. So um, let's just very quickly though um, bring it to the Boxing Day football because I'm very conscious of the fact that it is a Boxing Day-ish uh, podcast. We've got lots of festive football to talk about and it has today already kicked off with lots of games getting underway since the start of the, uh, since the World Cup finished. Um, we'll start with you. Like I touched on at the start, not a great day for West Ham, um, but what what results in particular caught your eye over what we've seen so far on the Boxing Day fixtures? Um, well, it goes against the grain for me to say it. I saw Manchester United and they look quite good. I should wash my mouth out saying that. Keep going. Keep uh, going. Go on. There's more. You can, you can, you can, go on. Elaborate. But, but I, I can't... You know, apart, apart from that, Rick, um, <laughs> I have to talk about West Ham because, you know, my focus at the moment is West Ham. You know, you know, Sorry? Are you worried? Yes, I'm worried, yes. Um, I, do, so I do a lot of listening to a particular YouTube channel called Hammers Chat. And, um, you know, they, they, they say everything that I, I'm tending to agree with now, talking about the, the management and the way the club's not going anywhere. We've had six weeks off and we're still playing the same way and it's rubbish. Um, so, so other games, I'm not too sure... You know, Arsenal look, you know, I, I've said that Arsenal wouldn't win the league, um, but they played, I know they were playing West Ham and we played rubbish, but they look very good. So it's it's going to, and Chelsea look quite good in their game. I saw some of that. It, it's it's going to go to the end of the, you know, it's going to go to the wire. But at the moment, West Ham, sort of my whole focus really is on how West Ham are playing and how they're going to do over the next few weeks. Um, Just following say, on from that. Um, Rick, we touched on, I think you mentioned it on one of the first podcasts we did at the start of the season about how close the title race possibly w will be. Are uh -huh. we now looking at how close the top four race in particular is probably going to be? Yeah, definitely. I think it shifted from that. I mean, Arsenal will inevitably fade, I think, and uh, Abu Dhabi will just run away out with of, it. Again. Out, of, out of top four? Not out of top four. That's the thing. That that the whole that top four, which they probably would have been happy with at the start of the season. Well, it's, it's it's much more interesting than a title race at the moment because there are genuinely what would you say, Dan, seven, eight teams involved in that. Because you look at the top, it's not top got United in it. It's not got um, many of the Chelsea in it, Liverpool in it. Who are teams that you would expect year in year out to be the ones that form the bulk of it. So that's where your excitement is going to come this season I think is that that race for the top top four Adam just very quickly as we're talking about 
obviously the, the top four race in particular and teams doing well at the moment. Newcastle were no doubt above um, their expectations, like further along than they would have expected so far in their um, quest for greatness, particularly obviously with the takeover. Is there a possibility that the Saudis in January might go, blimey, we're second here, so we're going to absolutely steamroll a January and chuck a lot more money at it than we were originally going to do because they might look at it and go, well, we're only so many points behind the leaders now and then we're going to go for this and make a big splash in January. I think I think that conversation will definitely be had because it's it's not like they're... I, the key thing to hold on to is I've just looked, pulled up the table here. They're they're four points off Man United in fifth, but they're they're seven points off Arsenal at the top. So they might go. That's probably slightly too much to make that with with Arsenal also having a game in hand. So so it could potentially extend to ten points. So maybe that's a slightly too far. Do I think they'll probably spend more money than they were going to? I think at the beginning of the season, if they'd ended up in the Europa League, they'd have been over the moon with it. And they and they're probably and and the idea would have been to reach the Champions League a year after. So they're probably about a year ahead of schedule where they are now because of the way they're playing and the style of what they're doing and the cohesion that I think is the key thing for Newcastle is that there's the cohesion there of everyone wanting to play for something quite big will probably get them over the line of the top four. Um, but in my, the gut says in fourth. The, the thing that they'll need to do is rather than blowing a huge amount to try and push for the title, it will be ensuring that they can just buy enough players to inevitably cater for the injuries that will take place. Because it's things like Callum Wilson will, will, will get broken again and, and everyone else. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think a few players in January is bound to happen. Rick, looking at the other end, though, and um, we touched on um, Nathan Jones in particular, of course, a friend of the show and big um, player, of course, for the Oval Town. We spoke about his opportunity coming into Southampton. Um, It's going to be a real struggle for them to stay up looking at what they've got compared to what's around them, isn't it? And if he does manage to keep them up, that's... That's going to be some achievement, isn't it? Is that going to be too big an ask? It'd be massive, but then having, again, looking at the at the league table, nobody normally at this stage of the season, one or two teams get cut adrift, don't they? They've got like seven or eight points or something, but it's actually what five points between the the bottom it's seven until teams? about fourteenth, isn't it? Yeah. It so it wasn't that. Who was it who said it? Somebody said it last, I think it was Steve Cooper actually said it on, on the telly last night. You know, you get two wins together, back to, you get back-to-back wins, and all of a sudden, you because it's so tight, you add six points onto your total, and you've jumped up five or six places in the league. So, it's well, there. Use them as an example. It wasn't that long ago that Leicester were rooted to the foot of the table. Yeah. Brendan Rodgers was a dead man walking, and he's now safely in mid-table within two games. It's. Yeah. I. I think. I think I've got more faith in Nathan Jones than uh, I think I realised. I, I think he can still do it, and more importantly, he's still I, got a transfer window. He's still got a transfer window to turn things around as well. Yeah. What's it? Two points between West Ham and, and Southampton in five places. I think it's. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Well, use, using that analogy, if you, if you were to give Southampton two wins, I know it doesn't necessarily. Other results have to go that, but that would currently that would put them up to at least thirteenth in the table, and they're currently bottom. 
Yeah. So, it, you know, that, that's one thing that going back, I don't want to go back and rewrite the whole financial conversation again, but because there is more parity financially between the teams in the division, it, it's created that situation where there's nobody who's a genuine sort of minnow in the, in the league. Normally, you'd expect the, the three teams that come up, if two of them stay up, that's amazing. But this season, it looks like, you know, you very may, very well may get all of the promoted teams staying up, which refreshes the league again and keeps it interesting. Just very quickly then, um, obviously, Yeovil are in between their festive fixtures between uh, themselves and Torquay United. Um, they got themselves a point on the road. Adam, um, you watched it on the stream, did you? It very much deserved for Yeovil? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, as I was having to go watch potentially the worst game just, of football I've ever yes. seen. But I'll say yes and say that I think it was definitely deserved. I'm very pleased. Um, I'd have, I, from what I could see, it looked it looked pretty good. I was I was pleased with how we were able to rebuild. It wasn't that long ago a Yeovil side would go behind, and that would kind of be the end of that, and we'd all sort of just go, "Oh, well, there we go. We've lost again." But we got it back and we got the point and it looked exciting. Was it now draw number 24 this calendar year? That's I think I think that kind of sums up the Oval pretty nicely. Final word from you, Rick? Uh, if that there are teams in the top 10 that have lost more games than the Oval. So it is just the case that draws kill you. But what would be nice, talk about teams getting two wins in a row, just to get the Oval could get two successive back-to-back -back victories and see the impact that that has. And because that's one thing they've not managed to do all season, it's all been solitary wins and then a stream of draws. So I think that's a good place to leave it for this week. Then Will's already, unfortunately, had to go. So he's already said his goodbyes. Adam, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Thank you very much. And Rick, thank you as always. Always a pleasure. And uh, from myself, Dave Pryor, it's good to be back here on Football. Bloody hell.